So hi, I'm Tom Evans and welcome to another episode of The Zone Show. And I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted today to be speaking to a very old friend of mine, but not very old as in an old friend, an old friend that's been, we've been friends for a while, I should say, called Christine Miller. How are you, Christine? I'm extremely well, Tom. And it's a real treat to be talking to you today. And actually lovely to be talking to you today because we're talking about love, aren't we? To put this in some context, uh, you sent me a resource on your website and I'm going to share the graphic in this podcast if that's okay. Uh, I just want to read out what it says here, which is absolutely amazing because this is just probably about 200 of a million words you've written on this subject. It says here, the English language has a paucity of vocabulary with regard to the different kinds of love which exist. Other languages have many different words for love and shades of meaning within their range of expressions to describe the varieties of love with differing differing contexts. For example, Sanskrit has got 96 words uh, for love. And if I scroll down to this uh, graphic you've done, which is a lovely, lovely graphic, you've got um, love in the centre. And then these lovely phrases like a gape, is it a gape or a gape? Philia, their storage, eros. There are just so many different kinds of love. So someone might love to go and see their football team, but it's a kind of overused and perhaps underused word at the same time, would you not say? Indeed, it is overused because people use the word love very casually to express maybe what could amount to a whim or a passing fancy, or it could refer to a hobby and a passion. What I found is that when we try to talk about love in a work context or an organisational context, it can put the fear of love into people because they associate it with something that's very rarely considered as part of working life. Love can be scary. Love might mean a relationship that you shouldn't be having at work. And love might also mean that it's something soft and mushy and that maybe if you're a leader in an organisation or a manager, that if you're loving towards your people, if you love them, it might mean that you lose your authority and then you're regarded as soft. It's also a very misunderstood word. It's been overused in certain contexts and I describe it often as having been tabloidized because it's often used splashed across tabloid newspapers as, for example, loveness, love relationship, even love rat. And often those relationships have very little to do with the depth and the feeling and the true meaning of what love might in fact be. Which is where the word love has been underused. And the true meaning of what love is is quite difficult to define because it does mean something different to each of us. And yet there are underpinnings of what that kind of deep affecting love that glues us together, that glues us together not only as people, but lose everything in the universe together. An attraction of particles, an attraction that is way beyond something casual. And love is something that holds us together. It holds us together in some way. And it holds us together overall as humanity, as the human family. So it's very powerful. And in its way, that power can be terrifying. Terrifying to leaders in that they can think that they shouldn't be loving their people. And that means that they're missing out on what's possibly the very best, if I dare use the word tool, because it makes it sound very clinical, but it's one of the best assets. It's the best advantage that a leader can have 
in terms of having a happy, contented, loyal workforce. So you know that phrase that if you love the work you do, you'll never work again. How could a leader start to bring that into a workforce? Does it start with them loving the work that they do first? It starts with them loving the work that they do and being passionate being passionate about their business, whatever kind of business it is, whether it's relatively small or an enormous corporation, it doesn't really matter. But there has to be that love for what the gift is of that organisation to humanity overall, and a contented workforce who feel that they are loved and respected. And love consists of all these values and qualities that are the universal truths of contented being. People want to be valued, they want to be loved and respected, they want to feel a mutual loyalty and a mutual affection. And there's a huge energetic power in the expression of this kind of love. It really, truly is the core of having a successful organisation or a successful life in a way. So yes, absolutely, that sense of loving what you do and loving who you do it with and loving how you do it and loving the people who benefit from what you do, and making sure that those benefits look into the future, that you can look far enough into the future to see that what you do results in increased love, increased comfort. And I would use the word prosperity, but in the sense of fully prospering, rather than simply in a financial sense of lots of money, because lots of money doesn't necessarily bring happiness. Obviously, lack of money is a challenge as well, and inequality is a challenge. But if you can come from a perspective of having this all-encompassing love, and that means loving people and things which are not perfect, loving being able to transcend the feelings of someone who isn't respecting you, or you're disappointed with what they're doing, or it's not working, If you can continue to maintain this approach of loving right the way through, even even when it's going wrong, that's one of the strongest assets that you can have in your business and in your own life. But how do you make the switch? Let's say on a Friday you've been working in a loveless organisation or you might even be in in a, a loveless relationship with somebody. How do you make the switch without people either thinking you've gone a bit bonkers or being suspicious of your motives? That's to do with integrity and congruence, loyalty and trust. That's one of the most interesting things and most important things that I've found. And I interviewed somewhere in the region of 70 major leaders in business and organisations, ranging from, for example, at the spiritual end of the spectrum, the Dalai Lama, um, and at the business end, Sir Terry Leahy, who at the time was the head of Tesco, which is a British supermarket and very successful. And people who'd been in, say, Formula One racing, members of parliament. I interviewed the Secretary of State for Business in the UK government and members of the House of Lords, classroom teachers, because they, goodness me, if you've got a tough class, you've really got to be able to stay loving even when the children are being horrible on a particular day. So I was walking into offices, the marble halls and the offices of what have been known in the past as the granite men, 
and I would want to ask them up front what love means to them. And in some places, although I prefaced it very carefully and gave a definition that I wasn't, if you pardon the expression, I wasn't talking about sex on the boardroom table, that I was talking about something completely different in terms of what love is, something much more spiritual and of the soul and of the entire human being. There were still people who, when I asked that question, what does love mean to you in your life? I might as well have actually punched them in the gut because it was this real recoil. They would get this real reflex fear reaction. And I discovered that in order to truly and congruently express my whole self, my being as a loving person, as a loving soul and spirit, I had to be love. I had to step across this abyss. I had to be the bridge and step across the gap myself so that all my energy was mindfully directed to creating a more comfortable atmosphere where I wasn't a challenge. I might be asking challenging questions, but I was coming directly from my heart and that my purpose was actually to help them to understand how this love stuff, which is what some chief executives call it, this love stuff, actually does make a radical difference. And I have a story about that. There's a wonderful gentleman who's the CEO and head of a major chain of jewellery stores. And they have about 130 or 140 stores. And he had one particular store which was failing. And he was thinking that he was going to have to fire the person in charge, the manager. The CEO was quite resistant to love. He thought that you could talk about caring and you could talk about compassion but that love was taboo in the business world. He could talk about loving his wife and his family. And we went through my interview questions. I have about 20 questions which I ask. And by the time we got to the end of the interview, he'd relaxed considerably and was feeling quite happy, quite happy with the concept of love. So I went on my way, he went on his way. He went to visit this particular store and he talked to the manageress and the staff about how they could perhaps be more loving, how they could, um, how the manager could love the staff and the staff could love the customers. And the customers would be attracted and would buy more because at that time they were still very much focused on the bottom line as profit and turnover. They were the essence of how the store was essentially being judged and staff retention and engagement wasn't happening. So, he didn't tell me he was going to go away and do this. Uh, uh, he didn't say he was going to do this exercise with being love and loving with the staff. And then three months later, I got an email from him saying, Christine, can we talk? And so, of course, I'm always happy to talk to my interviewees. And he said, you won't believe what's happened. That store which was coming close to the bottom of our league table has zoomed up to being in the 20s. It's now about number 24 or 25. He said, I went back to talk to the manageress again. And he asked her, but what is it that's happened? And she said, well, I can't explain it exactly, but I just have to say that this love stuff really works. And it was to me, as I sat there in my chair and listened, I had this huge thrill of joy and love, I guess, pass through me. Because whilst I'm utterly convinced that love is the answer to everything, 
it had been hard for me to get this, this across, especially just through one conversation, one 90-minute conversation. So it strikes me then, we're in, we're in the middle of the, we're recording this in the middle of the coronavirus scare, um, and, and that's gone viral. It strikes me that this love stuff also has this virality to it. Yes, it does. It's quite incredible. I mean, I think you could say love is catching. Love is something that is such a force. And when you embrace love, then you vibrate at a completely different level and you become an attraction, but you also become a silent, well, I'm going to call it a, a soul wave because I know that that's so relevant to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So how could, how could, if someone's listening to this right now, how could you nicely infect them? so that they go out and, and spread the wave of love into the world? Well, I think you can infect them just by the way you behave with them. I think if you can accept people, if you can trust that they do have a higher instinct, a higher self and a higher purpose, even though they might not be expressing it, it's that old statement, you know, the behaviour may not be resonating with you, but on the inside of that person, there's this core of humanity that's just not quite connecting. So there are various ways of helping to instill love in people and being an example. So being an example of how to be courageous, being respectful, being loving, whatever loving may mean to you. And I'm not talking here about allowing bad behaviour to just get through the net. I'm talking about drawing people's attention to the fact that they can be different, that they can be creative. I guess tapping into, just getting someone to tap into their creativity, the joy of being valued for your creativity, for the qualities and your, your, your unique qualities. This is something that raises this vibration of love. If you're someone who, for example, meditates and practices mindfulness, then quite simply by putting your hand on your heart, connecting to the result that you want to see, connecting to love, connecting to giving and that higher level of being, you can have a huge influence just by sending out waves of love to people, to the world, to whatever composes, as you use the example, um, the coronavirus. So I've been spending time quietly meditating, mindfully considering how people can be stronger in their immune system to resist or recover from the virus. To make that decision, that they're just not going to receive it, but that the coronavirus, whatever it may be, is a gift that they don't want. And of course, there are no guarantees, but if you want to infect someone with love, then you have to be that love, which vaccinates them against the harder parts of life. We all have tough times. We all have times where we perhaps doubt ourselves and we wonder what we've achieved whether things have turned out the way we want them to be and helping people to tune in to what's good. What is sound? What is a component of love? What to emphasise? What to emphasise with other people to gain understanding, to use their emotional intelligence to understand others. Also to bring, if we're talking about different types of intelligence. I see, for example, as IQ as being something analytical and mental agility and using those skills to transmit love could be called LQ, the love quotient. I see love as surrounding everything, 
surrounding all, all the intelligences. You mentioned IQ then, and we got EQ, emotional uh, uh, intelligence, and, the, and also the spiritual intelligence. Do you see that the, the IQ, the EQ, and the, and the SQ kind of underpin and allow the LQ, the love quotient, to really um, be developed? I see it as the three elements of emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, and the IQ, the intellectual side, are essential to the way we function. And whilst I think they underpin in a way, on the other hand, I think that love is an infusion at the centre, and also love entirely encompasses all the other intelligences. That it makes it easier to bring all your assets into play. You might have a brilliant analytical mind, be a scientist, you might be deeply spiritual and have a wonderful connection to a higher being on a different plane of existence. Your soul may be truly in communication with your higher purpose, and you may know exactly how to connect with that and how to help others connect. And in terms of emotional intelligence, it helps you to relate to other people, to understand them, to understand the challenges that they're going through, to be aware of the other, and to also understand your own feelings when you're going through more difficult times. And I see this as a whole, just completely holistic. And when it's surrounded by and centred on love or LQ, then there's this, what I call, an allurement where everything is brought together. The whole way that we live, the whole way that we express our being is supported by everything, our intellect, our intelligence, our spirituality and our emotional composition as a human being, whatever that may be. Not a single being, but whatever emotional states we may be going through at the time. All these, they all fit together. And if you add in the love quotient, or it's not so much adding in, I think it's becoming acutely aware of the love quotient, then it brings an ease and a huge expansion and a greater vibration to how you can approach the world and make your contribution to the world. Now, I'm guessing that, you know, an IQ is a, a quantitative thing, isn't it? You, know, you can measure it and have a, a number on it. If you've got a big enough one, you can apply for Mensa. Is a love quotient by its nature and its essence something which is qualitative and you can't put a number on it? I think it would be sad to put a number on it. I think it is immeasurable in terms of putting a number on it. However, I think its results can be seen in the good that we can do in the world. So looking at how we can improve other people's living conditions, how we can produce things which make people's lives better and easier, how we can be respectful to people and the earth, how we can create more abundance, how we can actually tap into abundance so that we're not just relying on the bottom line, more money, more productivity, that we're actually looking at what qualitative results we're achieving. If you're a boss, have you got an engaged and happy workforce? Do you respect them? The team, are they empowered to make decisions? Are they confident to make decisions? Have you skilled them in such a way that they know the value of who they are and what they are in every aspect of their lives, such that they can literally bring their whole self to work or bring their whole self to their relationships or, or whatever. This is something I've discussed at great length. Organisations go to huge lengths to recruit the very best people. 
they make them jump through all kinds of hoops. They don't just want their technical abilities. They want them to be good all-rounders who can have good relationships, have excellent hobbies, have this skill, that skill and the other skill. Then when they arrive on the job, they only need to work a narrow field. They didn't actually want the whole aspect of the person. They want them to leave their family. They want them to leave parts of their personality at the door. They want them to leave skills that aren't strictly related to the job at the door and just bring, now say you're a data analyst. They just want that skill and they don't want the rest of you, which they went to great lengths to discover in the recruitment process. And I think organizations where people can be valued holistically have a far more loving vibe and create a good environment. They keep their people and consequently, they're more successful as a result of that engagement. And the engagement is powered by this sense of being loved and valued. But what's the first step? So it takes a bit of trust to, let's say you're going to say, right, overnight, I'm going to take my organisation and we're going to make it all completely loving, uh, using the the qualities you talk about in the diagram with the agave, the philia, the storage and eros, which is fairness, integrity, trust and courage, respect, strength, humility, caring, compassion, and then energy and creativity and passion. These are all wonderful qualities, and I'm sure some of these values will be in people's uh, in in their in their business plans. How do you take the first step to going to the other side? Uh, bearing in mind, as I said before, people might be slightly suspicious of motive. That's very interesting, Tom. One of the most effective ways of doing that is to switch from the short term profit-orientated, satisfying shareholders only attitude to a stakeholder approach. So what I tend to do is to get people to do a stakeholder map, which is quite a simple thing really, but I get them first of all to do a stakeholder map for themselves, with themselves at the centre, so that they work out, this is me and I've got all these other aspects of my life that I have to balance. It's not quite work-life balance, it's different because it's what are the components that make up my life now? Who are the other people who are stakeholders and in whom I am a stakeholder? So we do that personal exercise first of all and we work on some values which in some circumstances can be an overworked term or an overused term these days but core values are still crucially important to know whether your values line up with the organization you're working for, for example. And I think the days of these incredible mission and value statements being posted up in reception and they're on the wall and everybody reads them, but nobody actually lives them. I think they're coming to an end because it's important that the values are actually something that runs through the core of the organization and they're not just paid lip service to. They have to be actually crucial to the way the mission and the day-to-day workings of the company unfold. And once we've done a stakeholder map for the individual, we'd then get together, having done some values exercises to work out, okay, so how am I a stakeholder in this company? And as a stakeholder itself, what does the company invest in all its stakeholders? 
And so rather than having this leaning towards profitability and turnover and a quarterly report, you start to develop a much greater sense of how are we influencing the world. And this is becoming far more evident through the climate change and ecological concerns that are ever present. And as we see, they're definitely rising up the chart of importance. Now, if you look at the World um, Economic Forum, the, the Davos Summit, which takes place every year in January, then you can see that the concerns are rising. They're rising up from being purely, are we profitable, to what effect do we have in the long term? And 2021s is even going to be called the Great Reset. My vision, which I share, is to use a six-generation projection to try and work out what effect what we're doing now will have on six generations from now. If you take a generation as being approximately 15 years, how far can you project into the future to see what effect you'd have? Because often people set up organisations and create products and create services because they see them as helping humanity. It's always interested me, for example, um, that Henry Ford developed the motor car because he wanted people to be able to visit with their families more easily over longer distances. And I'm sure his intention at that time, whilst I don't doubt that there was a profit motive, there absolutely was a profit motive, but one of his dreams was that people could see their families more easily. And yet I'm sure he never envisaged the long-term effects of his combustion engine as we have it now, because we've seen over the years its effect on pollution. I think how well, the pollution in China has gone down now, people can't travel so much, and that we've got that learning now. Because the factories there have closed down as well um, in China. There's a bit of a learning then. If you apply this stuff in the work environment, it also applies in your domestic environment. Uh, but also if you're a sole trader, self-employed, this stakeholder map that you're talking about can also apply there, surely. Indeed, yes, because as a sole trader, you have clients, you have suppliers, you have your family, your friends, your social life. There are just as many aspects of being a sole trader as there are of being a larger organisation. So yes, I quite agree. And trading on the word sole trader, I think it's important to use something like the stakeholder map when you're assessing yourself and use the word soul, change it from S-O-L-E to S-O-U-L, because it's how are you living with yourself, and we're all multifaceted beings. And we have to think, how much time, for example, do we give to our health, our nutrition, to our spiritual life, to our romantic life? There are all these aspects of being a soul trader, and as a sole trader, as a single person working your business, how many trade-offs do we make in our lives? Whether we perhaps aren't really in touch with that essential core of love. Because days pass, days go by, and in some cases we're all just trying to get through the days, through the week and to the end of the month. And perhaps sometimes spending time with our loving core passes us by. So the mindfulness and meditations and calm time and working out how much time we allocate and also remembering to do and be everything with love in a loving way can give us a great strength and increase the way we perceive ourselves 
and also the way we're perceived by those who are in our world. How lovely. So as a sole trader then, Christine, how do you plan to take this work out to a wider audience? How can people get hold of you and, and dive into this world? I do workshops and retreats at my home, where I currently am in southwest France, and I'm putting together some online webinars and seminars to make the work more accessible. I'm in the process also of producing some new courses. For example, there's one called 100 Meanings of Love at Work. And by Love at Work, I would broaden that as it's not just love in the working environment, but how love is at work in all our lives. So it's not just focused on work and organisations, it's focused on the powerful effect of love when we remember, when we begin to remember love, and when we do remember to bring ourselves back together with our loving being, our heart and our soul and our spirit at the core of love. So there are various ways. I've got a website called loveintheboardroom.com and I'm writing a series of love stories just on things that occur to me, things that I've been pondering, questions that I'm answering for myself about love and about having spent all this time lovingly engaged in this work and wanting so much to share what I've discovered with the rest of the world, with humanity. Uh, I'm working on bringing a series of books together to share what love does mean to people and the powerful effects that being loving and actually even just having the courage to talk about love, what effects that can have uh, indirectly. And for people to consider what love means, because that's not a question we're usually ever asked in our lives. It's not often that someone says, could you tell me what love means to you in your life? And I guess I've now talked close on a thousand people about what love means to them. So there's a great deal of insight available, which I really do want to share. Um, and if people want to get in touch with me, they can do so through the Love in the Boardroom website. That's loveintheboardroom, all one word, dot com. And I'm on Facebook as Christine Miller. And also through a Facebook community called The Love Pandemic. And I'm on Twitter as Christine Miller as well. I'm very open to dialogue. In fact, I love to have dialogues. So there are plenty of ways to find me. And there's something I've got here, Tom, which I hope you don't mind me reading. Please. You filled in my online three question survey, which is on the Love in the Boardroom website. It's just three simple questions about love. The questions may be simple, but the answers aren't necessarily so. And this is what you said. So the first question is, what does love mean to you in the context of your life generally? And you answered, it is the prime driver and the essence of all I seek. I am fortunate that as a result, I'm surrounded by love. So the next question, what does love mean to you in the context of your work environment? You responded, if I don't love what I do, I either do something else or alter my approach to what I'm doing so that I can love it. And how would you express that love in your life at work and beyond? And this is so beautiful. 
Everything I produce is imbued with energy from my heart ray. The white space in my books and silence between words in my meditations oozes love into the world. So I loved it when I learned that alchemical trick. Wow, how lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. So just to recap about how we can bring love into the world, it's by being love and doing these types of things that you speak of here, which is to imbue everything with your love, with your love energy through your heart ray. Well, on that note, I think I'll, I'm going to add the heart ray meditation to, to the end of this uh, podcast. How about that? I'll just I'll link it in below as well. So uh, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. I love the idea of being a soul trader. I think that'd be a fantastic title for a book, How to Be a Soul Trader. Um, and that can encapsulate a lot of the wonderful work that you do. Uh, and all the case studies, you know, these all these interviews you've done with people in the boardroom, they're all effectively sole traders, aren't they? Well, thanks so much for sharing everything today, uh, Christine. I hope that we have a conversation in the not-too-distant future. And uh, I love the idea that we're just uh, sending solos out to the world, see what happens when they come back. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.